today. Amen? It's great to be here. What an awesome privilege this Father's Day that we have to worship our Father, to honor our earthly fathers and worship our heavenly Father, that our life would not be the same, but that our lives would be transformed. Thank you for your prayers last week as we spent Saturday for a little while in the hospital and thought we were having a baby last week and here we are a week later and no baby and uh, we've learned one thing that regardless of their age and time that ladies are still unpredictable, amen? And uh, so here we sit, still waiting. And, uh, but God's got a great plan, everything's perfect in His timing and we're excited, excited about that, amen? Thank you for your prayers. We have been looking at our sermon series dealing with chasers and how everybody in this world is chasing after something and how in the world that is filled with chasing after things of selfish ambition, God has called us to be soul chasers, chasing after men and women, boys and girls who need to hear the greatest story in the whole wide world, the greatest story, that story of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so... Today, you know, we've been thinking about this, and today is Father's Day, and man, I was thinking about, you know, the last couple of weeks, what I would share with you on this day, and man, I have just been thinking about all the great stories of great fathers in the Bible. I mean, we, we it takes the rest of the service to list every great father in the Bible, you know, I mean, starting with, starting with Abraham, and uh, man, just how he had trained his children to walk in the way that his son Isaac was willing to, to lay it all down for him uh, on that altar just because he knew his dad was a man of God, and a man of character, a man of, of uh, high value and morale. And, man, I was just thinking about that, and I don't know, I just really felt the Lord redirecting me. I had been spending some time, I had just gone through uh, several of the New Testament epistles that was written to the churches, the church of Coloss, and had read the letter of 1 Timothy, and had, the last couple of weeks had just been spending some time in, in 2 Timothy, and had uh, been spending some time in one of, my, one of my, the Bibles that I have for my daughter, and, and, uh, and had, uh, was writing her some notes in and, and that 2 Timothy, and I'm going to be honest with you, uh, Pastor Ken, I, I began to look at 2 Timothy, and I began to think, this is probably the greatest book on parenting in the whole Bible. The book of 2 Timothy, the whole book is about parenting. And you say, well, man, Timothy wasn't, wasn't uh, Paul's son. No, not physically, but spiritually he was. And I'm telling you, I began to read that, and I began to make notes in my Bible about that. And, man, I, I began to see some great things. And I want to share with you, if you have your Bible in 2 Timothy, and uh, if you would uh, find your place there, it's an interesting thing. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want us to look there. The first thing that I began to realize was, number one, number one, the first thing that you have to do is realize the times you're living in and realize what those times demand of you as a parent. For instance, uh, if you're parenting today, it demands a lot, your, the demands on you as a parent are different than the demands on you that may have been on you as a parent 30 years ago. Now, it doesn't mean that the demands are greater. It just means, it means that many of the demands are different. Many of the things that you're dealing with as parents, uh, uh, 
you, you, today, your parents and your grandparents may have not dealt with those same temptations and things that, that you are dealing with. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's just different. I could list off a whole list of examples, but I don't have to do that. You're intelligent. You can figure out a lot of the differences. But the first thing that we must understand is what the times are that we're, we're parenting in. And so the first thing I want to talk to you about in 2 Timothy is, is found in chapter 3 and uh, verse 1. But know this, that difficult times will come. Now, I'm not just saying that we're in the difficult times right now because Timothy wrote this passage of Scripture. I mean, Paul wrote this passage of Scripture to Timothy a long time ago. And he said that difficult times will come in those last days because people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful. They'll be very proud. They'll become blasphemers. They'll be disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable also in Matthew chapter 24 you may not know this but you know what chapter 24 is about the disciples went to Jesus and said tell us what will be the signs of your coming when you come again he said well I mean when will you come again he said well I won't tell you the time that I'm coming again because only the father knows when I'm coming again but I tell you what I will tell you about is some signs he says in those last days in Matthew chapter 24 you'll hear of of, of wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and pestilence and, and all of these things and nations will rise up against nation and kingdoms against kingdoms. He said, but know this, the end is not, not there. It's near. And then he goes on and there's something he says in that that nobody pays any attention to because we like the earth-shaking stuff. We like the stuff that really makes good movies. But you know what it says in Matthew 24? It says in Matthew chapter 24, it says that it'll be impossible for people not to take up offense. Matthew 24. People will be offended on every turn. And so when you come back over here into Timothy and you look at this, it says, and then they'll be irreconcilable. You won't be able to reconcile them because of the offense that they may have taken up for. And so as we think about this, they'll become slanderers. They'll be without self-control. They'll be brute, without love for what is good. They'll be traitors, reckless. They will be conceited. They'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of religion but denying its power. And here's what Paul tells his son in the ministry. Timothy, avoid those people. Exclamation point. Avoid those people exclamation point now why would he tell him that because what he was telling him is something very interesting and I believe what Paul would be telling us today is he was I believe here's what he would say I want to give you a little bit of instruction on how to parent be a parent in perilous times in perilous times and the first thing that you must do as a parent is you must determine the perils that are around you for instance Whenever in the 1800s, things that parents dealt with were different perils from the perils of today. <clears throat> Matter of fact, most of the perils that parents fooled with or had to deal with, maybe even up to 50 years ago, was the main perils that parents had to worry about was perils that was coming against them. You know, perils of, 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 of just of the, the thing that parents worried about the most was, was their children. There, there wasn't uh, the, the law and the protection and the, the things in place that protected people like they are today. I mean, they would just shoot you for no good reason and go on about their business. 
And uh, it was kind of like in the Old Testament. If the avenger of the blood caught up with you, then, ah, well, too bad. I mean, you did wrong, and the, the person you killed's family caught up with you and killed you, and not a whole lot more was said about it. it was, and those were the things they had to worry about. You had to understand the perils that were around you. And so, as a parent, you must understand what is it that your children are surrounded by. Well, I know that we think that we probably live in the most unsafe times that there is, but, you know, we really don't. Not on the things that are coming against them directly, but I tell you the most unsafe times that we live in today are found in this way. It's those things. Every one of those things that was listed that we just read were not things that were necessarily coming at your children from the outside, but they were coming at your children from the inside. Every one of those things we read about that he was warning him to stay away from was not something that was directly that would bombard your children from the outside, but that would bombard your children from the inside. Now, how did it get on the inside was because they saw what it looked like on the outside and they began to lust after it on the inside, desire after it on the inside, and before long, it, before long their whole insides were consumed with what's listed in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I mean, basically, you could title 2 Timothy chapter 3 this way, Tomorrow's News Report. I mean, if you read those things right there in chapter 3, you go home, when you get home from church, you can cut those on and you can see every one of those on the news. Look at them, if you will. It talks about they'll be lovers of themselves. Where does that come from? On the inside. They'll be lovers of money. Where does that come from? On the inside. They'll be boastful. Where does that come from? On the inside. They'll be proud. Where does that come from? On the inside. They'll become blasphemers. Where does that come from? On the inside. They'll be disobedient to parents. Where does that come from? On the inside. They'll be ungrateful. Where does ungratefulness come from? On the inside. They will be unholy. Where does that come from? On the inside. They will be unloving. On the inside. Where do they get their irrecon irreconcilable feelings? On the inside. Where does the slanderer come from? On the inside. Where does the lack of self-control come from? On the inside. Where does the brutalness come from? On the inside. Where does the lack of love for what is good come from? On the inside. Where do they become a traitor? On the inside. Where do they become reckless? On the inside. Well, you get the point. All of those things come on. Now, now I know they have an outward manifestation. They have an outward manifestation, and because they're unloving, because they're disobedient children, because they're lovers of pleasure, they all manifest themselves in a different way. But it's not, it's not the, uh, well, let me explain it this way. We, we were watching the, the Hatfields and the McCoys. They had a deal on TV about that. I mean, it's not the McCoys that you had to look out for. It was something that was going on inside of their heart. It was the battlefield of the mind, the battlefield of the heart and soul. Jeremiah put it this way thousands upon thousands of years ago. He said the heart, above all things, the heart is desperately wicked. And no man can know it. 
the very inner of our being leads us astray. It leads us to want more. It leads us to desire for more. And we are parenting in perilous times. You say, well, I don't have any kids I can check out today. Oh, no, sir, no, ma'am. Listen to this story today. Because Paul was parenting a boy that had nothing to do with him in his genealogy or in his direct DNA or in his direct gene pool. But it was a spiritual gene pool. He was a spiritual father. And I want you to know today that what we need in America is not new politics. What we need in America is not a new religion. What we need in America is not bigger churches. What we need in America is not greater education. Listen to me today, my brothers and sisters in Christ. We accomplished more with less in our past than we are accomplishing today with more. Amen. Amen. Think about it. Our forefathers developed so many great and mighty ministries, so many great and mighty things, and yet that generation gave it to the next generation, and it was paid for, and it was free, and all they had to do was maintain the ministry and keep the ministry or the business going, and yet they're going out of business, and they didn't even have to build it. They didn't even have to pay for it. It was paid for. It was. I mean, there's examples all around us. I thought about it yesterday. We passed by the Masonic Lodge and they're dozing that whole deal down. I thought about how many little children went through that Masonic home who didn't have parents and, and, and found refuge there, whatever that case may be. Now, whatever your feelings is on the Masons, that's your, your own prerogative. But here's what I want you to understand. The fact is that somebody built that dude and spent a lot of money on it and had a vision for it. Somewhere the vision failed and today it's all going away. And the thing I want you to understand is, listen, I, I listen to everybody talk about, we need more education. I'm telling you today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, our forefathers did more with see Dick run, see the ball, catch the ball, see Jane jump the run. I mean, they did more with simple mathematics and simple English and simple reading than we are accomplishing with our masters. Matter of fact, I believe today that many people have become educated beyond intelligence. Now, that doesn't mean I'm against education. But what I mean is, it's not our answer. It's not our answer. Our answer, our answer is inside of ourselves. Our answer, I was watching something on, on the uh, President H.W. Bush, the first President Bush. And it was talking about him. He had a, a catchphrase, if you remember. He says, we were going to be glimpses of light. And he said, I learned that phrase as a child from my mother who told me that I always needed to bless other people. I always needed to be engaging and making a difference. What we have to understand is that we have to understand, number one, what our children are up against. And then we have to understand, number two, what our spiritual children are up against. You may, you may be here today and you may say, Pastor, I don't want to work in that children's ministry. I've already done my part. I've raised my kids. I've, I've raised my grandkids. I don't want anything to do with that. My grandkids are having babies, and I've got great-grandkids, and I don't want to have anything to do with that anymore. I've done my part. Well, that's a good excuse for you, but not with God. I mean, what we need is godly men and women to say, I'll be your spiritual parent. I'll be your spiritual mentor. I'll be that person who influences you. And we can't stick our head in the sand and say, well, I've done my part. I'm just coasting on my way to glory. 
I mean, who knows? The person that you may impact may be the next person who can shake this place up for Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If you're going to be a great parent, a spiritual parent, or a physical parent, you must understand and determine the perils that our children are living in. And today, we're living in such perilous times. And so the second thing you must do is you must deposit a treasure in those children, in your own children and in your spiritual children's uh, lives. Look at this. It's found in chapter 1. Chapter 1 and verse 2. To Timothy, my dearly loved child. When you get to heaven, you try to tell Paul that wasn't his boy. My dearly loved child, I, am, I remember you. I remember you. Man, look at what he says right here. My dearly loved child, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. One of the greatest problems in America, I believe, today is not necessarily the children. Children are still great children. I believe we have a problem with the factory. We have this one little girl who... Who, who played on our uh, softball team. And, and you just knew she was a, had a lot of potential, and I really couldn't, but she had a bad attitude. And I couldn't really understand what was wrong. And the other day, man, I heard her mama walk by, and her mama was cussing her out like nobody's business. And I thought, well, that explains a lot. Now I understand what's wrong with the child. And what I want you to understand is that Paul says, listen, I'm not, he's, he's talking about his son Timothy. He says, grace and mercy and peace. I mean, he, he wasn't cussing him out. He wasn't saying, you snotty-nosed little punk, what are you thinking about? He says, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. Here's where it really begins to show this, that we must deposit a treasure. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my forefathers did when I constantly remember you. Circle that word in your Bible. Remember you. He remembered Timothy in my prayers night and day. I'm going to tell you today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, on the authority of the word of God, if you want to make a difference in your children's lives, pray for them every day. If you want to make a difference in the spiritual children's lives, pray for them every day. Pray for them in the morning. Pray for them in the noontime. Pray for them in the afternoon. Pray for them in the evening. Pray for them when the sun comes up. Pray for them when the sun goes down. Pray for them. Intercede for them. Believe for them. Cling to God for them. Uh, just pray for them. Making a difference in their life. He says, I'm mindful of you. He says, I remember you. I want you to know I'm praying for you all the time. One of the greatest things that happens to me in my life is there's a few people that I know every single day when the sun comes up, they're praying for me. And that makes a difference in my life. What a joy it makes a difference in my life to know that before my feet hit the floor, somebody's already prayed for me. That makes a difference. That makes a difference. And he says, I remember you, and I remember your tears. Now, one of the reasons he remembers his tears is because Paul's in prison, and Paul knows he's fixing to be executed. And there's Timothy, his beloved son in the ministry, and the last time he saw his little boy in the ministry, his little young Timothy, and his little young protege, the guy he was mentoring, he knows that he was looking at Paul, and he may not see him again because next time he comes, he's liable to have his head cut off by Nero. 
And he comes and Timothy's there crying and he's saying, oh, Paul, man, oh, Paul, he's just crying and crying and crying and saying, I don't want you to die. I don't want you to die. And Paul says, Timothy, every day when I pray, I see you standing there in my prison cell with those tears brushing down your cheeks, son. I am mindful of your tears. I remember those tears and I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Clearly recalling the sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice. And that I may convince, I am convinced, is in you also. Is in you also. Therefore I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is through you, the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power and of sound mind. Hey, Timothy, don't you be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ. See, if we're going to make a difference in our children's lives, we need to, to deposit things in their lives. A lot of people want to claim this passage of Scripture that says uh, that if you train up a child the way he should go, when he's old, he won't depart from it. And that's a true Scripture, and I believe that you can claim it. But first, you have to train up a, a child. And you see, Timothy, it didn't start with when Timothy was born. It started before. It didn't start with his mother. It started with his grandmother. His grandmother and his mother, and he says, Paul says, and Timothy, I know it's in you. I know it's in you. I can see it in you. I know that that treasure has been deposited in your life. And he goes even further and he says, not only do you have the treasure of faith in your life, but Timothy, I know that you have the gift of God on your life because I, Paul, laid my hands on you and prayed for you that the anointing of God would hover over you in your life with power and mind and fresh demonstration. And Paul says, Timothy, what I want you to do, son, what you want to do is to be, a, a, to be victorious as a young man is stir up the gift. Stir up the gift. Stir it up. Set it on fire. Set it ablaze. Again and again and again and again. See, Paul didn't want Timothy to fall victim to the, the common theology of most believers. And that's this, that when we become a Christian, God sets a fire in our heart. And we go out in the forest and we find the biggest all-nighter log and put it on our spiritual fire and think that one log's going to take us all the way to glory. Paul says, no, I want you to stoke that fire. I want you to rekindle that fire. I want you to set that fire ablaze that was deposited in your life. And what I want you to know today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, whether it's your own children or somebody's child in this building that's part of your faith family, pray for them, stir them up, encourage them to be all that they can be, not for themselves, not just for their country, but for the glory of God, the King of kings, the great I am. Stir them up, stir them up, pray for them, believe in them, lift them up, exhort them. Do not provoke your children under wrath, but exhort your children that in due time the manifest blessing of God would spring up inside of them and begin to spill over. See, children are a product of the factory. Where did all that in the last days, where did all that, that whole list of stuff I read come from? Well, it had to be deposited in their life by somebody. 
It didn't just come out of the middle of nowhere. Somebody had to deposit that junk in their life. And I want you to know today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that if we want to be effective parents, both spiritually and physically in perilous times, that we must deposit little treasures in our children's lives. You must pray for them. You must deposit the word into their life. You must deposit the scripture into their life. Not only must we deposit treasures into their life, but we must direct their path. We must direct their path. In this passage of scripture. Now it doesn't mean that you can tell them where to go. Because most children, if you tell them what to do, they'll do the opposite. But what it does mean is that you can direct their life. You say, well, if I can't tell them what to do, how am I going to direct their life? By depositing treasures in their life and living your life in such a way that they will naturally want to follow in it. That they will naturally want to follow in it. And that it will make a difference in their life. I mean, what is he talking about here? Well, look with me, if you would, in this passage of Scripture, in chapter 1 and verse 13. Paul tells Timothy, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Jesus Christ. Guard through the Holy Spirit who lives in you that good thing entrusted to you. Hold on to, guard the deposit, guard the deposit, guard the deposit. What is the deposit? It's the thing that you started depositing in their life, hopefully before the child was ever even born. When the child was in their womb, you were praying for them, you were believing for them, you were believing God that the miracle and the manifestation, the plan for that child's life would be fulfilled and that it would not be sidetracked, it would not be derailed, that when they grow old they would not swerve from the truth, but that they would hold fast to the things of heaven. Hold fast, hold on to them. To that pattern of sound teaching. We must direct their path by encouraging them to guard the deposit. To guard the deposit. Today, people guard their money. They put it in places... Many times they put it in a place they may not be able to get to. They'll go tell the banker, put this money right here on a 10-year CD so I can't touch it for 10 years. They will say, let's guard it. They'll rent safety deposit box. And they'll say, I want to I put my treasure in this vault. I want to put it in there. I want to guard it. I want to hedge it in. Some of you may remember that your parents didn't trust the bank because they remember when all the banks went broke. And they lost what they had in the banks because they found out that there was really no safe place on this earth to guard things. The greatest security system, the greatest thief can break it. Can break in. That's why he tells us in the book of Matthew, he says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on the earth where moths can come in and destroy it and rust can corrode it and thieves can steal it. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. And wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will end up being. 
He says, I want you to guard against this. Guard against it. Protect it. The treasure that's been deposited. The holy treasure. The thing that was placed in you as a young child. When we prayed for you and laid our hands on you. And believed God that his ministry would be fulfilled through your life. Guard it. Guard it. Guard it. Hold on to it. Hedge it in. Be sober. Be vigilant. The devil, our adversary, is a roaring lion and he's walking around seeking whom he can devour. Guard it. How do we teach our children to guard it? Well, he lists it in chapter 2. We teach them to be strong. Look at what it says in chapter 2 and verse 1. You therefore, there's that word again, my child, be strong. Be strong in what? In the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In the grace, say that with me, in the grace. Say it again, in the grace. Not in the condemnation, but in the grace of Jesus Christ. Be strong in it, my child. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach also. Here's what he says, share in the sufferings as a good soldier. Be strong. Like a soldier. So that you can please the one who recruited you. And he says, a soldiers are strong. And no soldiers get entangled into the affairs of this world. In everyday concerns, in everyday life. But they stay focused on the mission. They must be strong as a soldier. They must be honest as an athlete. Because here's what it says in verse 5. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to what? According to what? Are you? What? One more time? All right. Paul, some of you hate the rules. You couldn't bring yourself to say it for nothing in the world. Compete according to the rules. Teach them to be honest. The world says manipulate, twist. Capitulate. Change. If things are changing, then you change. It doesn't matter who you have to sell out. What secrets you may have to give up. What principles you may have to compromise on. The world tells them, capitulate, change, turn, go a different direction. Do whatever it takes to win. But if you give up everything you've ever believed in to win, what have you won? Teach them to be honest. Because the athletes, are com the only ones who are crowned are the ones who compete according to the rules. And even after you're crowned, your crown could be stripped away. Look at Lance Armstrong this week. Now, who knows the truth of that, but only God and him. Somebody could get on after you. I mean, passed over 500 drug tests. But, only, but one person can cause you more havoc than you can undo. So live in a way that your Teflon, Teflon, why do I want to be Teflon? Because nothing sticks to it. Don't be Velcro. Don't live like Velcro that grabs on everything around. Be Teflon. 
Live your life according to the rules. That you may win the crown. I don't remember the athlete's name, but some years ago, he was predicted to win the Olympics. And it was this this long uh, uh, triathlon type race that he was running in, and he was he he was held to win it. And soon after he the race took off, he left everybody in the dust and. When he got it far, uh, so far above the pack that nobody could see him, there was a train that passed by. And so he jumped on the train and rode it to the end of the race and jumped off. And just sat there and waited. And waited and waited. And when it looked like it was time for him to cross the finish line, he jumped back in the race and finished it. The only problem was somebody saw him get off the train. There will always be somebody that sees. Somebody that watches somebody that does that's if you don't compete according to the rules and if you win and you cheated you know that you're a real loser i mean you know there's no joy in that crown there's no joy in that. if you want to how do you direct your children that they would be strong as soldiers honest at honest like athletes well that's not a good example anymore but that they'd just be honest they compete according to the rules. And not only would they be honest, but look at what, what Timothy also, Paul tells him right here. To be patient. And he gives us another example. And he says, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I, I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. What is he saying about the farmer? The farmer has to wait on the harvest. Even in this instantaneous world that we live in where we want it all now, the farmer still has to go and deposit the seed in the soil and wait and wait and wait. And sure, there's things that he does for the seed and the plant along the way, but he has to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait till what? Till the harvest comes. And teaching our children, both physical and spiritual, to be strong, to be honest, to be patient, to be patient and to be faithful. I love what Paul tells him right here. Paul tells him this, look what he says in verse 8. Keep in mind, young Timothy, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, descended from David according to my gospel. For this I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But God's message is not bound. And this is why, why I endure all things for the elect. So they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And this is a saying is trustworthy. Look at this. Get this right here. For we, if we have died with him, then we live with him. If we endure with him, we reign with him. If we deny him, he denies us. And I love this verse. If we are faithless, he's still faithful. If you'll come down off your holier-than-thou perch for just a moment. You know there were some days you weren't faithful to God. You weren't obedient. You didn't do what he told you to do. You didn't move when he beckoned you and prompted you. And on those days that we were unfaithful, guess what? He was still faithful. He was still faithful. He was still waiting. 
wanting to do a work in your life that no other man could do. How do you parent in perilous times? Know the perils that you're walking through. And do everything you can to guard yourself and your children against them. Deposit a treasure into their life. Because I'm going to tell you, what makes your children great is not what you leave them. Not what you leave to them. But what you leave in them is what makes your children great. Or really messes them up. I mean, what you're leaving in your children, I mean, it could put them in counseling for the rest of their life. If you're not careful. Or what you're leaving in them could change their life. Forever. Everything else is temporary. I remember one day my dad and I were at the place where he grew up and we were standing under this big old pecan tree and dad said, man, this is where the kingpin used to live. He owned everything out here as far as you could see. I said, what was his name? He said, I don't remember. <laughs> he was just the kingpin. You can own everything all around, but one day somebody will say, I don't even remember who he was. And what you leave in your children could affect generations of your family for decades and centuries to come. Positively or negatively. What are you putting in them? And then direct them I know you can't tell them what to do they have to make their own decisions and I think one of our children's greatest problems today is that we we don't want them to fail we don't want our children to fail it's called the wussification of America we don't want them to fail we don't we want to protect them you know I mean man my teacher didn't have any problem writing the F on my paper I mean, we don't want them to fail. We, we don't want anybody to lose at athletics anymore. We, we don't, they may think bad about themselves. Listen, guys, ladies, how do you direct them? Paul describes it in 2 Timothy. And I'm not going to tell you the verses that it's in. I want you to go read 2 Timothy. This is your homework assignment. You say, man, you want me to read that whole book? Come on, it's only four chapters. You can read that before your wife has lunch ready. And I want you to mark, and in 2 Timothy, Paul shows you how to direct young people. And here's what he says. Just follow what I'm doing. Just follow me as I follow Christ. Paul knew that he was walking so close to Jesus that if young Timothy just lived, the way he was living. He would be modeling Christ. You say, boy, that was arrogant. No, it wouldn't. Paul just knew he was sticking with the stuff. Paul knew he was in jail because he wouldn't compromise. Paul knew he was waiting to be executed because he wouldn't compromise. Paul knew what it was like to walk with God. And he said, Timothy, if you just follow my teachings, you'll follow the heart of God. 
Parents, can I ask you something today? Can you say that to your children? Will you just follow my teachings? He said, follow me. Read 2 Timothy several times. Mark it in your Bible. Now, he doesn't say it the same way every time. But several times in 2 Timothy, he said, just follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. And I'm going to tell you something. What we need today in America is parents who are walking with God and they are the real deal. And it's so unique that their children actually want to follow them as they follow God. Kind of like the little boy. I'll close with this. The little boy, his brother was being baptized and he was only four. The boy, brother was being baptized was ten. And man, the preacher gets up there and He's about to baptize Jimmy, and Jimmy's there, and boy, he's about to baptize him, and Johnny's sitting next to his daddy, and boy, the preacher starts his holier-than-thou dissertation and says, man, it's just great that Jimmy's raised up in such a godly home and his parents, and he went on this whole list of adjectives describing the type home that Jimmy lived in. And Johnny looked up and tugged on his dad's coattail and looked up at him sitting next to him. He had tears in his eyes. His dad says, son, what's wrong? He said, daddy, I don't want Jimmy to move. Even a four-year-old knew that what that preacher was saying wasn't matching what was happening at the house. We could be parents. Maybe your kids are out the house. Still live it. Find you somebody else to mentor. Find you a young Timothy. Pour your life into. Let them follow you as you follow Jesus. We can make a difference. We can make a difference. President Bush, W. Bush, said this in New Orleans, I think in 2006. He said, the problem with America is we have a heart problem. And we can change America one heart at a time. Where do we start? Right where you live. Right where you live. So goes the dad. So goes the home. Now today, maybe you're here as a dad and you just feel like you're struggling. With your head bowed, you may want our, your pastors to pray for you. Maybe you want to come. Maybe you know as a dad, you're not, you're not doing what you need to be doing. You had not been living the way you need to be living. And maybe you just want to make your way to this altar and just do business with the Lord. Maybe you want to come down here and just say, Lord, teach me how I can deposit treasures in my children's lives. Maybe you're a dad and you have that son, that daughter. Wow, they're out there. Maybe when I read off that list of descriptives over there in, in the book of Timothy, maybe, maybe you, you're thinking, man, my kid has a lot of these. Here's what we need to do. We need to come together in the name of Jesus, in His power, and begin to pray for God to break that spirit of bondage on their life. Because if children have all of those things, and going on in their life, I promise you they're not happy. 
They'll end up in counseling. They'll end up on Xanax or some other kind of antidepressant trying to make them feel better. Today, with your head bowed, let the Lord speak to you today. Maybe you just know you need God to do something different in your life, in your home. 